Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who just found out that AM's yearbook used to be called The Longhorn, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Sometimes imitation is the is the finest form of, of, of flattery. Um, sometimes it's downright creepy, right? Like when you find out, like, what do you mean you have a tuft of my hair? Like that's it's a little weird. Like we know look, you wanted to be like us you tried to be like us you're not like us so you're very bitter it's almost you know it's like it's like the the kid you say no nah, i don't know if i want to be friends and then he, he eggs your house or something i don't know that's not a thing that's not a trope but it's weird it's weird we can all agree gerald it's weird it's got like a talented mr ripley vibe correct almost. that's I what i was like the right way to go with it yeah um like they can't they you rebuffed their you know, whatever kind of advances you want to call it there's some subtext to that movie that we'll leave on the floor but you know we we they hate us because they ain't us, and so then they try to become us, right? The Texas Aggies, right? Keep it together. But we're not here to talk about um, the rivals from the uh, the East. We're here to talk about guys used to be highly ranked on rivals, but the defensive backs, Texas, uh, looking to uh, retool, reconfigure, rejigger the back end of the defense. Texas has had, let's just say, some struggles in the previous years uh, shoring up that back end, so they're hopefully going to get that together. Uh, we'll actually have our uh, Wyoming preview on our Thursday show this week because of scheduling issues. We've got to push that back, but we'll have that for you later this week. So flip-flop this week, got our position preview today and our team preview on one. Wednesday. Obviously, we'll close the show out with some big explosive down the 40 and bang the drum. So the Texas defensive backs have had a lot of talent, but not a ton of consistency, we can say, over the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years, basically since you and I have been running this podcast. And um, this year, maybe we'll buck that trend. I'm not quite sure. There is a lot of elite talent back there. There's a lot of guys that can do a lot of really incredible things, but this is a group that's never really all played before together. There's a group that uh, I don't know if the group is even still formed, but or already formed yet. But like this is a group that has a ton, a ton, a ton of high level, uh, high top side. Think about the cornerbacks. Ryan Watts is a guy who we know what he brings to the table. Terrence Brooks, a guy who know who we know what brings to the table. Uh, Gavin Holmes, freshman Manny Muhammad coming in and really lighting up the world um, has had a lot. His name has been buzzing quite a bit. Um, and I think anybody who's followed him or watched him play at South Oak Cliff is not shocked by that at the safety Jalen Catalan comes in from Arkansas a guy who uh, finally in his rightful place I will say playing safety for the University of Texas um, sliding over probably Bug Thompson uh, from the boundary to the field safety uh, so that'll be a nice tandem back there Keaton Crawford left something to say about it Jade Barron uh, I'll say it, the most disrespected guy in the Big 12 based on production like I don't know what Jade Barron has to do to get some defensive accolades if he has to like literally go and like murder the quarterback in the backfield and he might actually do that this year um but there, there's a picture that has yet to be painted in the back of the texas defense um and it's a very i think much like we talked about uh with the defensive line there's there's a lot of variance between uh the floor and the ceiling of this group look i i think you said it and i think i start talking about this group and in their upside i think the true bona fide superstar 
of this secondary is Jade Barron, right? And, and, and I don't know, there's something locked in my brain, I guess, because we've had so much coaching change and turnover that I still view this group of seniors as young guys like Jade Barron, Jaron Thompson, um, Keaton Crawford, like they're all seniors, right? That feels like those are young guys still for some reason in my mind, but this will be it. Like this is the group, what they've been building towards with that group. Um, you bring in, you know, uh, you mentioned Catalan, right? Like I think if he's healthy and he plays like he was when he first came to college football as a freshman and was just absolutely a, a dominant force as a freshman All-American and, you know, one of the best safeties in the country as a true freshman. Um, I think if he can play to that level and be healthy, that is where some of the plaudits for this Texas secondary are coming from. I know there's been some guffawing uh, and hooting and hollering um, as Texas uh, was released uh, this week, I think, this weekend um with pro football focus ranked their top 10 and texas was like number four or five which look that might be lofty there's a lot to be proven with with catalan a new addition into a starting spot we'll see if holmes or brooks wins that other starting spot but in theory if holmes wins it that's two new out of uh, five starters thompson moving from one safety over to the kind of field safety replacing anthony cook that could be as many as three players in new positions um or new faces i guess in their positions but there is a lot of talent, a lot of seniority, and and I think that the you know three safeties of some combination of Cook probably playing the field safety, this Jade Baron of course locked in at the star, um, and then you know like I, I mentioned Catalan who. I know fans wanted him as a recruit, and I know fans watched when Texas played Arkansas. But if you didn't follow his, By the way, fans are us, right? Like us. that's correct. No, not- that's correct. No, that Gerald and I fall into that group in in this case for sure. Um, but if you didn't watch. Catalan is a freshman. Just go wreak havoc on the entire SEC. Like he was legitimately in the conference of you know a consistent pipeline of SEC impact maker to NFL impact maker at the safety position. Um, Catalan was the best of the bunch, and so again, injuries have robbed him a little bit of that continued trajectory. It's the only reason, really, that he gets to see a senior season in college. He would have been in the NFL uh, by now, if not for it. He's had some shoulder injuries. So again, there is a question mark there. I'm hoping for a completely, like, you know, the same way we, we've rooted for, for Jordan Whittington to be able to show off his talent in an injury-free season. We're, of course, rooting uh, for, for Catalan as well. Like, you know, we already talked about the receiver room, but Catalan could go earn himself some money with a healthy senior year, and I think that's why he's at Texas. And that's that's just, you know, your, your three starting safeties, right? I think that group, and we, we kind of lumped them in there as three together at the cornerback position, you're going to have probably all three of those guys play a lot. Two will start. I think Watts has really locked up the boundary. He will be the boundary corner, you know, as long as he's healthy. But, you know, the Brooks and Holmes one is interesting because I almost feel like Brooks is more of a boundary corner. He'll take that once Watts graduates this year. He'll, he'll likely move into that spot uh, next year for his junior year. But um, Gavin Holmes is a transfer, but he's a junior. He has two years. That could be our starting cornerback group next year. Um, Holmes kind of fits that field cornerback mold. He's he's closer to Jamison, um, probably, who played there last year. And, and really, with that much space, it's more about speed than physicality. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you're going to see a lot of them. And then, like Gerald said, you know, Malik Muhammad is a guy who it's – we always say it, you, if they're freshmen are that good and you can't keep them off the field, that's the type of situation we're looking for. And so Muhammad had a big uh, scrimmage this past week with an interception and just has had a good week or two in, in camp where he's, he's turning heads when it seems like that position group is pretty well locked down. So that's a good thing, right, if a guy's playing himself into it. But, I mean, th- there's a lot, a lot of talent. Most, almost every position of the five, and we know Kwiatkowski's base is, is five defensive backs on the field, Um 
I, there's a two deep that I feel comfortable with across the board. There's a three deep in some of these spots that, you know, is looking good. And that's, it's great to have health. It's great to have legitimately like seven, eight, nine dudes who it's like, he's not going to play. He's being held like, you know, guys who are that talented who have done it as well. And so our special teams unit, I think when we talk about that will continue to be great. Cause a lot of times the speed and physicality of some of our defensive backs really shines on special teams. And then that projects and transfers to, to the defensive backfield when they, you know, earn their playing time there. I think that unit will be great with some of these athletes on here, but just looking at it purely uh, from a defensive backfield, I mean, it's loaded. It is absolutely loaded. But again, I think um, there's so many ifs, right? Like, I think that's always the thing that worries me. Like, you know, Jalen Catalan has not played a complete season in his entire career. One game last year, six games two years ago, 10 in 2020, uh, which I guess was a full season in 2020. It was. But still it was. hasn't played. Yeah. So he has, I guess that counts, but also it's not a full season, right? It's like a full season with an asterisk. Sure. He hasn't played a 12-game season. Um, and then four games in 2019. But like, again, Jaron Thompson is a guy who played really well, was one of the one of the really bright spot, spots of that secondary last year, I think. Um, he and like Deshaun Jameson, I think were probably, the, he, he, Deshaun Jameson, and again, John A. Barron, the most underrated mm-hmm. overlooked guy in the, the secondary um, were like your three guys that you really like to see. And, and Jaron Thompson, um, you know, showed some of his inexperience in spots, but I think mm-hmm. overall the, the trend line was up. Um, and so I don't have, again, if Jalen Catalan can stay healthy and Jaron Thompson can build on what he did last year. And again, I have very few doubts that he can because we've seen the development trend. Yeah. We've seen for the first time, I think since late stage Mac Brown, these guys are developing into what they should be. Right. So I'm not I have zero doubts that Jaron Thompson is going to continue to build on the same thing for John A. Barron. I think he's going to be a guy who that star position is so important to this defensive alignment. And it's hard to find a guy like John A. Barron, who is, especially at Texas in the secondary, like a sure tackler, a guy who likes to make plays. He likes to he likes to lo- lay the lumber on folks, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. So like that, like safety slash star group, uh, I feel pretty good about. And I don't necessarily hate where, where Texas is at with the corners, right? We know what Ryan Watts is and what Ryan Watts can do. There's a reason why Texas went out and got him. Terrence Brooks, we saw flashes of brilliance from him last year. We saw some spots where he looked like a freshman. And that's that's part mm. of the deal. That's part of the reason why I think they went and got Gavin Holmes out of the out of the portal was to to get some more uh, experience and tenure behind him. And then you bring in a guy like Manny Muhammad, Malik Muhammad, who, uh, you know, if you watch or if you've kept up with recruiting, he's a guy that they talked about as he played like a pro as a junior. Right. right? He, he carried himself like a pro the moment. Like, we'll, we'll have Mike Roach on in a couple weeks. He's trying to figure out his schedule. Mike's a new dad. Uh, also, who's working in the national beat now. So, like, he's busy. But he, he's, he's committed to coming on when he has a minute. Um, but, like, Mike covered... Uh, Manny Muhammad as a, as a as a prep and again raves about that kid and raves about what he brings to the table and so Texas again has a really high ceiling with these with these guys and I don't think necessarily the floor is very low I yeah. think there's a floor somewhere and I think the, the for the first time in a long time I don't feel like I'm going to be anxious about the secondary like I'll, I'll obviously watch and have questions and obviously we mentioned questions today but there's been a, a legit level of anxiety I think for the last several years about the secondary and specifically the safeties for a long time and I think finally we can catch our breath yeah and and Gerald, do you know where Jade Barron ranks all time in program history in non-offensive touchdowns? Fourth. He is sixth. He'll be at least fourth by the end of the year. I know we're going to have Podser Domus a bit. He'll get a, he'll get at least one. He's had a blocked punt return for a touchdown, an INT return for a touchdown, fumble recovery for a touchdown. The guy is just itching to get the ball and take it 
to the house, right? We know that he didn't even start until the the third game of the season uh, due to some injuries coming out of the offseason last year. He's a lot uh, like Jalen Ford. When you look at his year numbers, they're incredibly impressive, but like he has two more games uh, that he can add to those, right? Like he uh, he and Ford are both players who, you know, divide their season average by one in Ford's case or two uh, here, less games, and it becomes even more impressive. Of course, Barron led uh, the team uh, in, in tackles for loss, right? It's that what Gerald was talking about, that position, being able to be in space and, and you know, teams want to utilize that in the new kind of 2020s uh, style of offense. They want... Just throw it, throw it out there, and and if you win, you know, fifty percent of your your one on ones, your your uh, little screens, like that's great. Or use it like a running play, right? When you have a guy like Jody Barron, it changes that trajectory. Teams tried it a bunch last year, and it just every single time failed. Like he goes, beats a blocker, makes a tackle for a loss, like stops it at the line of scrimmage, minimal gain. Like that's what he does, and it's so incredibly important in the new uh, offense or kind of new defensive. Um, era where offenses are just going to try to test you with high percentage stuff and let guys go make plays, and it's the little slants that that you know Tech killed us on on third and fourth downs. It's it's those little passes out to the flat. Can the defense have more guys step up and play like Baron, which is sure tackler, athletic enough to get themselves in the position to make plays and then go out and make it? Um, a guy who's interesting to me, right? Jalen Gilbo started those first two games as a true freshman. Um, a big flip from TCU. A guy who you know I think if this if we weren't so deep as in, in all of these places, you know, would, would have something to say as a true sophomore. Uh, I think he will contribute, but certainly as a guy who projects uh, to step up next year in a big way. Um, there's, there's so much talent in the, in the kind of young secondary as well, guys, we, we haven't even really talked about Larry Turner, good and BJ Allen, both redshirt freshmen, true freshman, Derek Williams, one of the best uh, safeties out of the boot um, that LSU uh, will talk about maybe a trend of them getting salty about uh, kids choosing to come to Texas over there. But um an incredible player who, you know, uh, because he's such a big recruit, a lot of times, you know, he's one of the names that comes up in press conferences. How's Derek Williams look? And all of the coaches have, have, you know, complimented him at every turn. So a guy who could play his way into some PT, you know, rotating in and out there as well or situationally. There's just a lot of talent up and down this roster. But I, I agree with, uh, with Gerald. If the ifs, if the questions of health and guys who are coming a little bit in new, right? If Gavin Holmes, who came from, from you know, uh, like a good program but not uh, an elite program but was very good and was was a highly highly sat sought after transfer if he comes in and lives up to billing right then you're talking about terrence brooks coming off the bench but brooks has had probably his name has come up i would say in the top two or three most frequently of any player in camp so far like he is having himself a season it's going to be hard so that's the position i may be watching the most heading into week one who's getting those reps right and that is it's a good thing where they're both great but i mean if if the ifs pan out if Catalan can stay healthy. If Thompson plays well in his new position, we know what Barron is. We know what Watts is. And if one of those two guys or both step up to be, you know, uh, NFL caliber, right, which I think both of them have those aspirations and the talent, uh, then, you know, this there, there's no real holes in the secondary. And that's like Gerald said not been the case there's been some question marks there's been uh some ah this guy's a good hitter but he gets beat over the top in coverage or ah he blows coverages every two games it's an easy touchdown right if we can take that away and these guys really play up to their billing has the potential i don't know if i'm i'm comfortable with pro football focus's fourth best secondary in the country tag but it has the potential to be a top 15 unit at least a top you know top 10 would would not be crazy uh, if you look at advanced stats they weren't bad last year right they, there's some um some stuff to build on and, and i i do think you know 
losing Anthony Cook, losing Jameson for sure, but they added so much talent and, and you know, guys ready to make the step up all across the board. Yeah, and I think you, you summed it up really well, Kyle. This is a group that uh, can truly be a strength for Texas if the ifs hit, right? Um, they have the opportunity to really be like you've got a you've got the opportunity to have two shut down corners. You have the opportunity to have two field commander safeties. You have the opportunity to have an enforcer out at star if all of the ifs hit. And I think um, for Pete Kwiatkowski, this is kind of a year where he has an opportunity to shut up a lot of the doubters because a lot of the talk last year was, well, it was Gary Patterson's defense. Gary Patterson was the real defensive coordinator. And so if Pete Kwiatkowski can come in in this group, especially this group, but all over, if the defense can deliver, right, and shut up a lot of that talk, uh, I think it'll go a long way, especially because, you know, I think I, I don't know how much Gary Patterson was doing as far as day-to-day, game-to-game stuff. So much of it, I think, reeks of what uh, Pete Kwiatkowski likes to do. But that concludes our regular position previews. We've still got special teams that we'll bring to you next week. And then in two weeks, we'll have our overall big all up season preview, but it's been a journey. Go back and listen to them each week. We've gone through each and every position group. Uh, So check us out from quarterback to defensive backs. We have been here. Check us out. Some things probably have changed from like, I don't know, eight, nine weeks ago, but (laughs) uh, definitely check it out. We'd love to hear you. Love to have you go back and check all those out as you prepare for kickoff, which is just in a few weeks. Now it's part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. And we actually start and stay with football. The biggest story of the last week, Kyle, five-star edge rusher from Duncanville, Colin Simmons, Mm. pulls the trigger and commits to Texas over the LSU Tigers. One of the biggest recruiting wins. I keep saying, like, I feel like we have these bi-monthly for the last couple of years, but like in, in a year following Texas Landing, Arch Manning, and Anthony Hill. Like, this is one of those that's on that level, at least in my opinion, um, as far as, like, immediate on-the-field results. Colin Simmons is a guy who walks on campus and is one of the top three or four guys at that position instantly. In a position of need, too, right? Like, we, I've had this conversation a few times with people. I don't know if I've... We've explicitly had it in in the podcast. It feels like Sark looks at his roster in the offseason and says, what's our... Where do we lack? What's our, you know, where do we need to shore up? And he just, he overloads it, right? There's probably some term for this with like, you just give something, someone's deficient, a caloric overload. Like it's so much that something's got to stick here. We did it with the offensive line and just, you you know, we went from being the biggest question mark on the team to being a, this team, the stories coming out right now where this team uh, are looking for, you know, to win the, the Joe Moore award for the best offensive line, right? It went to defensive line, let's be, or linebacker. They, they got a bunch of, Really good impact linebackers for the for the next few years. Looks like defensive line is is now the target. And Colin Sims is a guy who, similar to Ewers when he first committed, or Arch Manning, or right, like those types of players, when that piece on the chessboard flips, they're that good and that talented. Other top recruits who want to play with the best players to get noticed, to get themselves, you know, on the biggest stage and to get themselves drafted want to go and play with those guys. And Colin Simmons is absolutely one of those guys, and we're just seeing it. It just happened. There's going to be some trickle-down to this. There's going to be some big-name flips, offensive and defensive, who want to come and play with a guy who, you know, everyone in the country understands was one of the biggest chess pieces on the board. Um, Number one player in the state, first time Texas has grabbed the top in-state player since Caden Stearns in 2018. That guy came on campus in 2018 and 19 and did pretty darn good as a freshman. And and I think you're right. Simmons is a guy who could walk in day one and, and be playing but you know what's crazy 
they could line up and throw Simmons and, and Ant Hill on opposite edges, and all of a sudden Texas goes from, man, if we could just get some pressure and convert some of our sacks and our edges, man, this defense could really be something to, oh, crap, how do we block both of these guys, right? Like, there's also a lot of talent in the middle, but how do we block both of these guys on the edge when they each require a double team? That's that's what we're, we're building towards, and that's what Colin Simmons does, right? He is that kind of cornerstone piece. He is that foundational piece. You know what he can do. You can stick him out there, you, you know, for, for however long he's here now, it's probably like three years. Um, he's going to impact games. He's going to impact offensive game plans. He's that level of talent. Um, I believe the the number was you know if it's he's the highest rated recruit that Texas has signed, and, and Arch Manning has moved you know with some people tanking his rating. That's the reason, and also Ewers decommitted then transferred, so he doesn't count in this. So highest rated recruit that Texas has signed since. Malcolm Brown, the running back variety, or on the defensive side of the the ball, Malcolm Brown, Noel, big Malcolm Brown, is the highest defensive recruit. So since the Malcolms of Brown, uh, which has been a few years, this is the highest graded recruit. So that's telling you something. This is where Texas wants and deserves to be. Edge has been, I don't want to say it, maybe our weakest position for a decade. It just, we haven't been stocked in this room for a while. And this is how you start it. Yeah, and, you know, Texas, the state of Texas produces edges every year, but I don't know if there's NFL-ready edges in the state of Texas every year. And, you know, this is telling that this is the first uh, time since 2018 Caden Stern, so like five or six cycles, where Texas has landed the top player in the state. And there's some caveats to that, right, where the Texas uh, pulled off of Zach Evans in favor of B. John Robinson or went after Arch Manning instead of a quarterback in the state of Texas. Like, there are those caveats there. But really, you know, this is the kind of must-win that Texas has to have right in-state kid position of need elite talent and Texas went out and got it and this will talk this will come up in my bang the drum but like and Texas did what it needed to do to get it done and that includes some things that maybe people don't agree with but it's part of the game speaking of getting it done uh four star slash five star depending on what service you are looking at uh, shooting guard Cam Scott committed to the University of Texas guy out of Lexington 6'5", 165, a kind of do-everything guard. Uh, and Rodney Terry continues to, um, I don't want to say prove the haters wrong, but <laughs> he's trending in that direction. It, it feels like, and, and that's Lexington in South Carolina, not Lexington, Texas. It'd be awesome if he uh, grew up outside of Snow's Barbecue. But uh, it, it feels like every time the collective internet riles up against a a texas coach i know they're not seeing it but it's like it feels like it's okay now we do the thing right like it feels like david pierce every time the the pitchforks come out he you know gets them on a run it feels like every time they're like well well yeah i mean rt can just could just ride off of beard our our class is terrible oh he just signed like 10 guys in in 10 weeks uh, and redid our entire 2023 class. Well, well, football's getting guys, and we don't have anyone in the basketball. Okay, he went out and got uh, a five-star guard who you know everyone in the country wanted uh, outside of Texas. So, uh, look, there are reasons that you can criticize Texas coaches of the University of Texas. I'm not saying they're unimpeachable, uh, but Rodney Terry just got in the job. So far, everything he's doing seems good to me. So uh, just leave the pitchforks for a little while here, guys. Um or, or maybe don't. Maybe bring them out so good stuff keeps happening. I don't know. Uh, but Cam Scott, great addition. Um, really, you know, a, a guard who can score in, in, in just in, in buckets. And I like uh, I like getting that guy early and seeing what else this class is going to build into. But uh, flag in the ground, that's a really good start on this 2023 
25 class. Just like Colin Simmons, you have to hold on to him, right? Colin Simmons, you have to hold on uh, to for a little bit shorter amount of time than Cam Scott. Uh, but getting him in the door, I mean, it's a lot easier to hold a commitment than it is to flip one. And it's a lot easier uh, to convince a kid not to go pro when they're already committed to you. So I think that's a that's something to watch. But Cam Scott is the kind of guy that, that Texas needs to land in Texas, can land in Texas, should land. We know RT is a heck of a recruiter. We've seen it before. That was part of what uh, part of the reason why I think Texas kept him around was his, his recruiting ability and his ability to build a relationship uh, with families and, and players. So uh, we know what he can do. So if they can produce what they should on the court. I, I don't see this thing taking uh, much of a step back. Texas has officially kicked off the 2023-2024 athletic season with an exhibition soccer game against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, a 6-0 outing for the ladies. Absolute dominance from them. Uh, but that's kind of what we expected going into this one. So don't draw many championship conclusions from it, but still very impressive showing. Big 12 soccer is going to be really, really good this year. There's three teams at the top that are, you know, top 10 teams, Texas being in that, right? I think Texas is ready to make the step up this year. And a lot of the names that you saw score goals are the names you need to be familiar with, right? Uh, Jilly Shimkin uh, turned into brace. Avery Clark, who I believe is a freshman, a big recruit who came in, uh, also scored two in this one. Lexi Mismo and Liz Warden each contributing one, right? There's, there's you know, all-American talent in, in some of the names I just read. And of course, Trinity Byers included in that. Um, and so, yeah, this, this team, Gerald is right to check instant championship expectations from the first scrimmage, but they're starting off their season um, in in moments and in, in you know or excuse me in days. Um, but we will uh, learn a lot probably in the next few weeks. They have some good uh, tough opponents uh, to start the season as well. And and like I said, Big Twelve play won't be any joke. Um, the reigning Big Twelve champion women's soccer team will have a lot to prove this year. Yeah, I think they they've got a lot to prove. They've got a lot of talent to prove. Um, to prove it, and I think there's an opportunity for them to uh, go back to back and repeat the, the, the talents there. They just got to execute on it. Uh, so the t- they'll officially kick off the season uh, games that count this week on Thursday against Long Beach State on the road before coming home for their official home opener of the season against Rice. It's award season, Kyle, or preseason award season, or watch list season, whatever you want to call it, for the football team. Starting off with the big daddy of them all, the Walter Camp Award watch list. Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy both named uh, to that one. And then on the defensive side, Jalen Ford, uh, uh, shocking to nobody, was named to the Butkus Award watch list as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, I, I don't mean to diminish any of this. I think it's awesome every time one of these comes out. They're, they, a little bit of a of a luxury where they kind of wash over and you're like oh yeah oh we got another award and I'm, oh he's on another you know it was it was quaint um and i love it right it's just different experiences um when we had andy mitts on in the kansas preview and like he was legitimately excited like fired up that you know there were two or three kansas guys on preseason award watch list like that's cool texas we come to expect that but i nonetheless appreciate it right go win all these awards now right we we have you know, seven, eight, nine guys on these on these preseason awards pretty frequently. Probably thirty or forty awards total that have that have racked up. Go win twenty of them. Go go out and uh, that means we had a heck of a season. So I love this. I love the hype. I love the uh, aggregating of lists uh, as a as a life principle. But uh, then go and and turn them into reality. If Texas reaches its goals for this year. Uh, these guys will stay on these watch lists and end up probably as finalists or at least semi-finalists for them. 
basketball. The basketball team on the men's side announced their 2023-2024 uh, non-conference schedule. Notable games on there. You've obviously got your rices and things like that, but the big ones, uh, Texas will be in New York City for the Empire Classic November 19th and 20th, and an exhibition that features UConn, Indiana, and Louisville at Madison Square Garden. December 6th, heading to Wisconsin to take on Marquette as part of the Big 12 Big East Battle, and then December 16th, have LSU at the Toyota Center in Houston. Kyle, which of those excites you the most? Well, you know Texas owns Madison Square Garden. That's a fact. So that's that's always exciting. But look, I like I kind of love and I'm leaning into I was sitting in the barber shop last week and talking to a guy in the other chair who was an LSU fan. It was actually that you know what it was? It was Friday. It was right after the Colin Simmons uh, news had popped. And so obviously we were talking about that, but it was a friendly, you know, jabs back and forth. But I feel like we really need to lean into LSU as our new rival as we head into the SEC. Like geographically, it makes sense. I'm in Houston, which, you know, it's kind of the halfway for both of Austin and, and LSU. And there's a big alumni base of both here in Houston. Um, I think in baseball, obviously, we've been playing them in the, you know, the in Minute Maid uh, to open the season a couple different years. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense to just really lean into this this LSU uh, rivalry as we go to the, the SEC. And so maybe that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. The Marquette one always jumps off the page based on like previous coach and things like that. I don't have ill will towards any ill will. I honestly love um, shock. I saw, you know, that's not necessarily one's like, oh, I hate that guy. If, if it's like, you know, a coach that left or whatever, it's always great. But yeah, LSU is one that jumps out to me. You got the, the Empire Classic is cool playing in Madison Square Garden. Texas has a good history of playing in Madison Square Garden. So I always like to see that. But yeah, getting a taste of that, that SEC uh, early is going to be nice. And so finally wrapping up, the volleyball team had their orange and white game on Saturday. Shocker to no one. Texas won that one. But now they're going to take on Texas A&M Corpus Christi on Friday and then open the season fully in the real one. So that Texas A&M Corpus Christi is a exhibition. They'll actually head to Long Beach State on the 25th of this month. So 12 days from now will be their official kickoff. I kind of following like a week behind what the soccer team is doing. Yeah, I, I love that. I don't know if they got BOGO deals on these tickets. Like basically one week later, you you play Tamuk in an exhibition and then you play uh, at Long Beach to open your season. Uh, I don't know. There's probably uh, a athletic director. Chris uh, Del Conte, we know you listen to this podcast. Go ahead and, and give us the answer to that one. Why uh, specifically? But I like it. Like some synergies and reflections. This is the year uh, of Maddie Skinner. This is the year of defending a title. This is a Logan Eggleston-less team, but still loaded, loaded, loaded with talent. Um, they are going to be prohibitive favorites to start the year as national title uh, defense. So the target will be squarely on the Longhorns back. And they also start the season with some tough ones um, uh, going back up to Big Ten country again early on as well. So there's there's uh, there's some talent uh, and they'll prove themselves very early uh, if they're the real deal and they're going to be ready for a repeat. At least for the Big 12, I have zero doubts about their ability to repeat for this one. And that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Um, I'm going to go just a little bit off of UT Sports, if you'll indulge me. Um, this has been a big week for San Antonio Spurs fandom, and a big week specifically for Sp San Antonio Spurs fans of, of similar age to Gerald and I, right? It, it it really was the cornerstone of my sports fandom as a, as a kid. Um, I was a Longhorn fan, but certainly not a fanatic. Um, it, 
I don't know that I grew up necessarily with a college football team specifically like the Longhorns because they were close. There wasn't a San Antonio team. Uh, they didn't recruit my older brother as hard. So, you know, there was a point when I wasn't really a Longhorn uh, fan necessarily for about a year there. Um, but my fandom really was rooted in my hometown team, as most people are. Growing up in San Antonio, that was the Spurs. And, you know, David Robinson was my first hero. Um, seeing him there inducting uh, as one of the, the, the folks inducting Popovich. Um, Tony Parker was just this electric teenager when I was a kid who seemed, even though he was six foot, seemed like he was about my size, uh, standing next to the Giants. Manu Ginobili, who also helped, uh, you know, present... Parker and uh, Popovich, you know, was the most electrifying thing I'd seen in sports. And Tim Duncan was just, you know, the model of consistency that I built, you know, like death taxes and Tim Duncan, my 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 life around. Right. When he retired, there was a piece of me missing. Um, but specifically hearing Popovich go on and just with a great speech and you saw his humility and you saw his intelligence and you saw him go through and thank, you know, coaches from Pomona and Fitzer, like coaches that don't get shouted out in Hall of Fame, co you know, speeches, uh, thanking, you know, talking about Indiana where he grew up and, and, you know, the, the, the teacher who opened the gym for him, like guys who don't get shouted out the humility, but also obviously didn't miss all of the people along the way. And just, he gave an incredible speech. There was the Popovich humor and, and bite and sarcasticness to it, but also just a genuine earnestness. And he talked about his family, made his grandkids stand up and his whole face and demeanor changed. You saw, he's just an old, you know, surly man who, loves his family more than anything and he's a big softy when it comes to the grandkids like everyone knows the story of Popovich and his wife and he got a little emotional talking about her not being there and how crucial she was to his journey and it's just a fantastic speech uh Parker's was was shockingly just perfect it was short it was very funny um it had kind of all the arcs of good storytelling um a recurring joke of tim duncan hating french people um it was just a wonderful wonderful speech with the, the speech of the night when becky hammond got up and talked and, and obviously she had an entire wmda career that she was going into the hall of fame for but also as a part of the spurs organization and when she thanked pop for making history even though he wasn't trying to be courageous and talked about him you just saw him seeing a family member and they panned to the crowd with him and she just said these words and he's trying everything he can to hold it together um for the the man who you know the, the serbian you know nuclear bomb ready to explode on the court or the guy who's you know short in his interviews because he doesn't want to you know waste his time you saw emotion and love and she said i love you at the end of her speech and he blew this little kiss that was the softest gentlest sweetest thing and like did everything in his power in his face to bite back tears on national tv and just break down crying like you just saw the man the reason that every player who's played in the nba even those who haven't played for him respect and honor and cherish him the reason that every player whoever has played for him calls him a second father figure the reason that players who played one season in san antonio still credit that season as changing their life for everything that he did for them off the court and made them think about the world in a way that was bigger than basketball he said it in his speech multiple times sports don't matter sports is, is not about wins and losses and championships those things fade it's about relationships and the humanity of it and i mean it just reminded me why i love sports why i'm such a you know why sports have such an outsized impact in my life. And it's guys like Greg Popovich and the organization like the San Antonio Spurs and R.C. Buford, who they repeatedly pan to in the crowd as being the architect of it all. And the, the friendship and camaraderie and love that was through the guys who had been in that organization and women who'd been in that organization. Um, it was incredible. Like it was 
it was a night for me. My wife had gone to sleep, and I just sat on my phone on YouTube watching all of these speeches because I didn't catch it on NBA TV. Um, some tears were shed, uh, but I just walked away like feeling in earnest. Like as we get ready to start sports season in earnest, Premier League just started. College football is about to be back. Like um, it's an exciting time, and it was a good reminder. Like sports can be fun. They can be. It can be great. Like there's good stuff, and it's usually when it's you know don't take the, the wins and losses too serious, and just enjoy it for what it is, which is a beautiful exercise in humanity. Yeah, as somebody who grew up a Spurs fan, like it was very, it was awesome seeing that. And you know, I've I've talked about this before, but like you know, my my, my family recently moved back to San Antonio uh, in this like weird kind of synergy moment. Like my dad was in the Air Force, and so we moved to San Antonio the year Tim Duncan was drafted, um, and so got, being here for like that entire journey um and now seeing it kind of culminate that big three you know and i my spurs fandom waned a bit when i lived in oklahoma city and i was there with kevin durant uh, but they've always had a big soft spot in my heart you know can't can't fault any of those dudes i will die on the hill that tim duncan is the greatest power forward of all time you can argue with your mama but it is what it is um it was great to see Tony Parker doing that. And, Tony, you know, the, the, you could just tell those guys are like the kind of guys that they could not talk for three years and then immediately just pick right back up the last conversation they're having. So I absolutely <clears throat> loved it. So I'm making the drum this week on um, something that Kyle and I have talked about before. So um, if you follow the Colin Simmons recruiting part recruitment, um, he said he went on a visit to LSU, came back and immediately set a date for his commitment and the LSU fans and the LSU, um, recruiting sites put a lot of value into that and put in a bunch of predictions for Colin Simmons to LSU. And then as more and more time passed and as more and more information got out there, uh, they started to backpedal a little bit, um, on that because, um, that actually just happened to be Duncanville's media day. So that's why the date was picked. It is what it is. Um, but part of the conversation as um, the LSU fans started to huff that copium and inject it straight into their veins, however you like to take a copium, they started to have the conversation about Texas uh, buying Simmons. And, and the conversation is around um NIL and NIL offers and NIL ability and things like that. And obviously none of that stuff is public and none of that stuff is confirmed. Um, but I want to say this and I want to say this in the least humble way possible. If you're mad about that, then you're a bunch of broke boys. Like don't be mad that a school is playing the game in the way that it's now legal to be played. Right. It is NIL is a part of the thing Now you can't offer an inducement for somebody to come to your school as an NIL deal. That is part of uh, that is still illegal, but being able to say here, are the NIL deals that are available to you here, are the things that are offered and that you can capitalize on. If you come to the university of Texas, like these, are, you know, these are the NIL, NIL opportunities that are available to you as part of, um, you know, being a university of Texas athlete, that's all well within the, the rules. And so, um, you know, people being salty about that, like it was happening before, and nobody was salty about it, but now that it's a legal thing that we can actually do, people are mad salty about it. And like, I'm this is one of those moments where, as Texas fans, push the chips in, lean into being the villain, like wear the NWO shirt proudly, like be Hollywood Hulk, be uh, big sexy Kevin Nash, be the Generation X coming from the back, uh, riding a tank, like lean into being the bad guy, be Darth Vader walking down the hallway. Like, that is what the University of Texas needs to be and should be. And if the University of Texas, if 
it, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The the biggest knock on Texas and the alignment that Texas has needed to be great at football has been the booster support, has been everybody wanting um, to have a say and have their, their say and their seat at the table. And this is an opportunity to make them put up or shut up. And they are putting up. And so now it's on incumbent on Steve Sarkeesian and his staff to make them shut up. And that will be a longer conversation for another day. But the whole point of this is, Kyle and I have said it before, we'll say it again, like, you are going to be the bad guy for a lot of reasons. People are going to hate Texas for various reasons. This is an opportunity to say, don't be, uh, don't be mad. This is an opportunity to say, don't get your hate up, get your weight up. Yeah, I mean, if, if, some of the best coaches of all time have, have been exploiters of rules, right? How do you create dynasties? How did Bill Belichick do it? He had, you know, giant... Uh, breakdown sessions every time the NFL rule book came out each year, right? Like, how are we most exploiting this? Um, think about Greg Popovich, who I just talked about with the hack of shack. Think about, um, you know, Nick Saban with gray shirts, right? Like the best program and dynasty builders find out what the rules are. Look, look, we're not going to go past it, but we're going to exploit every inch that you give us. That's just good, solid, you know, coaching or, or in this case, you know, uh, program uh, building. So yeah, if the NIL rules are there, and Texas happens to be one of, let's call it at worst, the three um, most uh, generously funded uh, in the country, if not the single most, um, it would be stupid and small and, and ridiculous to be, to be shy of our own, our own power in this. We should, this is our time. We should step out and just money whip everybody around, right? Like if we're going to have big money, uh, donors meddling in business. This is where we get the benefit of it. Uh, let's let's go be big business and let's go uh, let's go be rich boys and let's get all the recruits. Big bank take little bank. That's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carb. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Those apply to threads as well. You can follow me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called and threads at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod on both those spots, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We've got some big news coming for you on Thursday, in addition to our Wyoming preview, so you don't want to miss that. Be back in your podcast feed on Thursday. But until then, hook them. Hook them. DBU. <laughs>